Yeah, get out of here, Tyler. <laughs> On today's episode of Ordinary to Extraordinary, Ben's up to his usual nonsense, but <laughs> we uh, we brought back a previous guest. Our first interview, Mr. Tyler Lafferty, as I say in there, the golden boy of Spokane. One of our friends, he's sitting here laughing in the background right now as I'm recording this. <laughs> we, but we get fun episode. Great insight from his new book, which you should check out, but we're not going to give you the name now. You've got to listen more. It's, we, we talk about a lot of different topics, including Mark Cuban pitching people, why you shouldn't pitch people. Nike, midlife crisis. Yeah. We talked about Nike off there, I thought. Oh, did we? Yeah, I can't even remember recorded. anymore. Okay. <laughs> well, now it is. Yeah. So... <laughs> We're going to get to the episode now. Uh, enjoy episode 110 of Ordinary Takes Ordinary. Okay, you ready? Yeah, we're recording and everything. Okay. I'm Ben Clunt. This is my Scottish friend, Stephen Brown. This is Ordinary to Extraordinary. And we are having back our first interview that we ever did on Ordinary to Extraordinary with Tyler Lafferty. So uh, if you didn't listen to that one, you should go listen to that one first, <laughs> probably. Let's test first you interview. first, Ben. Do you remember what we talked about the first time? Well, we talked about his businesses, and then we talked about millennials. Oh, there you go. We did. I know. I was thinking about that, too. I'm like, oh, how many millennials went back and hopefully listened to that and be like, oh, Tyler. Actually, that works really well with the new book. It does, actually. Actually, I didn't even think about that until we're sitting here. So I've known Tyler for a long time. For those of you that wonder how we get people on this podcast, how we fleece them into coming on and talking with us, uh, we usually know him. So Tyler and I serve on a board together. Uh, Ben... It's just part of the Spokane community for a long time. Yeah. I call him the golden child of Spokane, the golden what? boy of Spokane. <laughs> the golden boy. Like everybody's oh like, gosh. can we get Tyler to come speak and MC <laughs> our event? Like I know. Start charging. Story. Yeah. No. But, it's, but you are no, and I, I always tell people I might have mentioned it to Stephen. Like, there's a few business owners in town that I admire for some of their characteristics, and you are one of those people. Oh, that's kind. Thank yeah. you. Like I've always thought, you do a good job with your team and your staff, and showing people admiration and care and. Thank you. And, but running the business in a positive way. So with that, though, we are here today to talk a little bit about update, though. What's new with the companies? What's new with you? And then also uh, about the book yeah. that you wrote. Thank you. Be more like you. You're yeah. a busy boy. I, yeah, I know, right? And when it's funny. <laughs> people ask me all the time, like, oh, my gosh. like, Or somebody made a joke. I can't remember on, on one of the social platforms. Like, oh, well, obviously, like, you were wondering what end of the spectrum of, like, that COVID treated people. Like, you obviously, like, you know, bear down and got stuff done. She goes, I was on the way other end. So if you want to, you know, know about that, let me know. And, <laughs> and I always tell people, that, you know, people say, well, how, how did you find time to do that? Like, I don't, have, I don't have time for this, which I totally understand and respect. And I didn't really have time for it either to write a book. I, but what I did was is I saw somebody who said, like, I got up an hour early every day mm-hmm. and went and did that. And I was like, you know what? I can I can commit to that. So I really wanted to write this book, and I'll get into that. But, like, the, at the time, it was like, okay, what's it going to take to make this happen? And so for me, I, I get up on average uh, 6.15, 6.30. And so it, it was basically setting that alarm for 5.15, 5.30. Yeah. I get up. Uh, I do a little. What me for? I get up at 5.30. Um, I wake up at 4 every day still. <laughs> like just out of the blue, like you just wait. Like if that, Literally. I would love that. There's days where three forty-five, I'm already awake. Yeah, but get asked what time you go to go. bed. I'm asleep by nine thirty every night. Yeah, my wife would tell you that's. I'm asleep by nine thirty or ten. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of the yeah, I'm the party pooper in our family. Like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to bed. But like, yeah, I get up. I you know, get, I don't. I like it that way. I'm way more of a morning person than I am, you know, anything else. But you know, that's how I made time for it, and I, that's how I tell other people. Like, if you want to do it, you know. 
you've got to find out not really how you're going to carve it out in like the middle of your day, but like how are you going to sacrifice maybe some of that, you know, sleep or whatever and get up and, and do it. And I got into a really good routine where I'd heard someone say, like, if you can write 500 words a day and just don't edit it, just get it out, get it down, you know, look at it later which I kind of edit as I go. It's just kind of my process a little bit. Um, so it kind of came out pretty f- good and pretty fluid once it was uh, kind of once on the paper. Uh, so it was a little easier to edit on the other end. But but yeah, I just committed to that and I started in early January of last year. So it took me about a year um, to get it all done and, and get there. But it was cool. It was, it was fun to do. And So tell us what was the reasoning though for writing a book? What's the general well, plot line? Yeah. So I, you know, I've been uh, speaking in classrooms for 20 years uh, or more, I guess, 25 years. I love speaking in classrooms. I love, you know, potentially opening the eyes and ears of a student who hadn't thought of a potential profession. You know, we at, at my quote, I'm using air quotes, my day job, you know, at, at 7-2 and 14-4, we work with some of the coolest brands in the world that kids really get excited about. So when you talk about Nintendo and Nickelodeon and Mountain Dew and Pepsi and, you know, stuff like that, kids get kind of excited and, and they're yeah. like, oh, wait, I'll actually pay attention. So stuff I would I use. So for years, I would use that as a platform where I'd go and talk about whether it was game development we were doing or the advertising we were doing or websites we were building. I would go and talk about how we did it for these companies and share about it. And so it got kids to be like, oh my gosh, like, I love that. I, I love playing games. I love being a part of that, but I never thought of designing or, or writing or building, mm-hmm. you know, uh, games. So that was, so I've been doing that for a long time and, and, and being a part of the educational process has always been interesting to me. My mom's a teacher, my wife's a teacher. I've always just been kind of love that. And so for whatever reason, that's the way I'm wired. And, and my passion is kind of helping students. And so probably the last two or three years, uh, I'd been doing a presentation at some of the local colleges about, about, uh, okay, Tyler, these people are going into the, you know, these young students are going into the, the business world pretty soon. What are you going to share with them? What are you going to say? Like, what do you want to like actually impart on them? And so I'm like, okay, well, if I have their ear, then I'm going to give them like everything that I care about. And, and so we talk a lot about what does it look like to follow your passions and, you know, how do you go about that? What does it look like? I would start to give like interviewing advice. I would start to give like reaching out for informational interviews and job shadows and internship advice and all of that. And so I, you know, was, was doing this and had it in this, this presentation. And it was called like something like what I wish someone would have told me was the, was the, was the huh. presentation. And it was received really well, not only by, by students, but then I would actually hear from Weirdly enough, uh, I knew some of the students that were in there, I would know their parents, and they're like, oh, it's, it's really resonating. They're loving what you're saying. So I'm like, okay, maybe there's something here. And so that's really was the impetus to like, okay, I should put this into a book, at least have it in some sort of form. And a book that I had read, um, a few books I had read prior um, were written in kind of the story and fable. It was a business book, right? But it was more of the story and fable form. And I liked that. I thought it's, it's easy to digest. It's, it's an easy read. And then again, you know, I'm thinking of my target audience for this book is 15 to 25 yeah, to 30 year olds. Yeah. So like, I need to make it as easy as possible to read because they're not picking up books, you know, you yeah. know, on the daily reading these things. So I need to make it really simple and really digestible. And so that's what I did. And I, um, the book is, is called Be More Like You. You said it, Ben. Uh, and, and really the idea is you, there are innately certain things within you that you are drawn to. Mm-hmm. You, for whatever reason, the way you're wired, you like this over that. And if you stop and start to identify that and, and take some time and do some introspection, 
and start to be like, well, why is that? Why am I more passionate about this than that? And and there's a reason, you know, that you're that you're that you're into that. So honor that and 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 do that introspection. But then at the same time, uh, I try to get students to better understand uh, to don't give up on the dream. And what I mean by that is, there's a lot of kids that are excited about. Um, snowboarding or music or whatever it might be but they think well I can't be the pinnacle I can't I'm not going to be the pro at that and so they kind of give up on that well I guess I can't go into that industry and trying to let them understand that those are multi-billion dollar industries with really cool jobs inside that you could be a part of you know something like that and so for them to kind of internalize that and be like well yeah yeah okay I might not be you know, pro snowboarder but man that's a that could be a pretty cool industry to be a part of to wake Mm -hmm. up every single day go to work you know work in an industry you love and so be around it so often when we talk about careers we go straight to the job type teachers lawyers doctors whatever it's salespeople. like we go straight to the job type and we don't step back and talk about the industry like what's the industry you want to be a part of what you know so in the book i go through i basically created what's called the ideas framework so i created this whole framework that i wanted this kind of step-by-step blueprint to walk through for that that students could use to kind of better get to know themselves what were their own you know unique skills and interests what were the industries that they were passionate about so in the book we go through um where my main character rory goes through this uh with his mentor he goes through this industry mapping where he starts to understand like what social media accounts does he like to follow like what is what are the things what are the you know the things that he's interested in and then just step back and go okay what are the industries around those and so it's kind of it's 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 this approach where trying to get them to see that. And then now that you have identified a few of those, how do you then break into that industry and start to build your network so you can get connections? And so we talk about how do you go about getting informational interviews and reaching out to people. So literally in the book, I talk about uh, it shows you emails that that my main character yeah. sends yeah. and how he reaches out and what. The, so I'm trying to give kids the tools to, you know, how, what does well, that look like to go? LinkedIn and how to do yeah, how do you do? LinkedIn. How do you, in my opinion, how do you do LinkedIn well? What does that yeah. look like respectfully? Uh, so what does that look like? How do you then reach out on a phone call to do an informational interview? Way, I especially appreciated that one because so many, like so often, you get just like someone randomly accepting you and then trying to sell something to we, you. We like should take, let's do a little like, tangent oh, on that. Gosh. Let's let's do a tangent on that. So like, what, it's not ben, you're, work. Yeah, what, I, what you're talking about happens way too often where someone, and I think it's very, very typical with the younger generation where they just send out, and it, you know, they send out an invite yeah. and with no context. So in the book, I talk about like, hey, you know, be very specific about when you reach out to somebody, put context to why you think there's value in connecting. Hey, I would love to, to connect with you because I am interested in your industry and I was wondering if you might be able to take 20 minutes to meet with me and over the phone, I'd love to be able to ask you a few questions. Great. Truth is most people are willing to you know make time. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're gonna run into people who don't and that's fine. But a lot of people want to make time for you. But if you have zero context, and that goes for like everything, right? And yeah. yes, most of the people we get that want to connect with us probably want to sell us something, which isn't awesome. But a lot of leads I get asked. I know, right? Can I leads. give you more leads? Can I give you some and like, leads? yeah, I'm an executive recruiter. Uh, just like delete, delete, delete. Yeah, delete. but at least like you know, I mean, there's people that reach out to me that I'm like, oh, they might be kind of interesting, but zero context well like why should we connect and so i'm like and then and and where this has bitten me in before is i i once had a friend reach out to me uh he was a he's actually a client and he's like hey do you know such and such is this woman 
I like to think I'm pretty good about my own network. I don't really accept anybody who doesn't give me some context where I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, hey, do you know this woman? I was like, uh, no, nope, doesn't ring a bell. You know, it was over text. I'm like, I can't remember. He goes, oh, because you're connected on LinkedIn. And I'm like, dang. I'm like, ah, like that, you know, and I went and looked and it was, I think somebody I met at a conference once or something okay. like that. And so we had, we had had a, a, a connection at one so point, but it wasn't very strong and I couldn't like say anything about her. I couldn't like give a recommendation. Yeah. So I like to believe that anybody I'm connected to on LinkedIn, you know, that, that I could actually vouch for or talk about where a lot of people would yeah. say, well, yeah, Hey, LinkedIn is about just that connecting and linking in with other people. And I think there's some truth to that, but it's my opinion that if you give context to your connection and why that that you're going to get a lot more success in making that happen i actually have a funny linkedin story so tim jake and i both advisors obviously at the same firm for context all got the same message one time from this individual like hey i'm looking to connect with financial advisor um and they saw that this individual worked for an mlm right and so they were like uh like i don't think tim even responded Jake said, I'm not interested in your MLM. I, I responded blatantly. to the guy being like, hey, if you're truly interested in financial advising, like, I'm happy to chat with you. And the guy ended up becoming a client wow. of mine. <laughs> and, and, and so this is like a Jake and Tim will go back to that like, God, like, watch your LinkedIn messages because you never know, like, who's reaching out I think that's too. totally true. You know, I've had, like, vice presidents of big corporations who I've wanted to work with. Like, oh, my gosh, it would be so great to, for us to be able to do, you know, to do some digital marketing for them. And then, they'll like, they'll reach out to me. Yeah. And, like, connect... And at that like point, I will level. I will be like, oh, okay, maybe I will accept that to see. Like, they're obviously mm-hmm. wanting it. So it's and then, conditional like, love? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'll write back and be like, hey, so great to connect. You know, let me know if you ever want to catch up. I'd love to talk. Zero. Like, I'll hear yeah. nothing. And I'm yeah. like, how? That's mind-boggling. Why, you just wanted to connect to connect for no good reason? Like, and again, big companies, big brands. I'm like, oh, I, I would love to work with them. So that that's interesting. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's LinkedIn's a goofy thing. So trying to... In That's, the book, trying to get at least a little bit of a decorum to, like, hey, this is how you should reach out. You're going to have more success if you build context. You know what context. I would love in that situation? So it's like, and I, I can't remember what book. This is another, I got this from one of those many books, right, the career advice books. And it was like, send a package to them that requires that they sign for it, right? So it's like you send, like, I'd love to work with the president of whatever, blah, 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 XYZ Corporation. We just connected. Tyler sent him a message. They now get a package from Tyler that they have to sign for. And, it's, and then they open it, and it's like, wait, is that the guy I just connected with on LinkedIn? So it's like, there's a way. Of well, there's definitely a way of being, you know, a little bit more intimate on how you go about that, and and at least building a more of a connection. Like, right, you could at least do that. There could be like a handwritten note about something why there's value in the two of us. Yeah. Kind of, you know, that, yeah, from a lead gen center, I'd rather see something like that than a pure just like connect with no, you know, mm. no context. And you know, anyway. it feels dirty. You know, who does <laughs> um, used. a really wonderful job with this. And if you've never looked at his LinkedIn, you should. Mark Cuban, mm-hmm. he literally in his tagline says, do not pitch me. And he's, he's like, love to connect, love to chat, ask me questions. I'm here as a resource. Yeah. And he just picks a few messages a day, I'm sure, and responds or comments sure. in his posts. As a team. But he says, don't pitch me. And when people pitch him, he blocks them. Yeah, and I love that. And that's a guy that gets pitched well, all the time. Why would you think that your pitch is going to be the one that he wants to accept? Yeah. out of yeah. everything, like, or in that nature, like yeah. why would you? Yeah, it's he just said, not pitch me. You pitch him, and you mm-hmm. think he's going to be cool with it? Yeah, you you know you you make me think of two things. The first one being the proximity principle. So Ken Coleman writes a book. I yeah. don't know if you've read it. Absolutely. Or, and everything you described, while not being identical, 
is similar to the proximity principle. When you talk about what industry mm-hmm. do you want to be in, people are like, well, I want to be in the movies and they think they have to go to LA. That's a, that's the example he always uses, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's like, no, do you know, there's, there's a, a movie right, right here. outside the window here, the road shut and they're filming. There's lots of filming going on in your region. You just have to figure out, do you want to do it for a church? Do you want to do it for, can you get experience in the small scale and climb the ladder and eventually end up in LA yeah. as opposed to moving to LA, working yeah. as a waitress or waiter and coming back. You want to work, I mean, stay here. There's yeah. people that make a great living doing production in their own hometown. Well, mm-hmm. and that's the truth, and I try to get that in the book, is is oftentimes we don't spend enough time getting that, gathering that information, mm-hmm. right? We kind of want it quickly, and we're used to it. We're kind of conditioned that. But if we just spend a little bit more time, and usually if there's fear involved, that we can overcome that fear by just getting a little bit more information, yeah. right? Like, oh, I don't know if that's me. I don't know if I can do that. But if you start to do a little bit more research and just push a little bit past that comfort, you know, uncomfortable place, you can really learn a lot and then you build a comfort with it. And then you start to be like, oh, I can move in this direction. Like, this makes sense. And so that's a lot of the book as well. We talk about mindset. So having a growth mindset, you know, how do you go yeah. about this? Fear is such a big deal. I mean, if, if you look at the the statistics of young people who, you know, suicide rates and that kind of stuff, aimlessness, like just not finding any purpose in life. Like it, it's, it's just growing. And so like the ability to get people to maybe key, you know, kind of key into something that they're truly interested in, or at least to start to down that path. And that's the other thing is, and I talk about this in the book is we want to believe that there's this perfect path, this linear path mm-hmm. to success. And the, and nothing could be further from the truth, right? Totally. I talk about the winding path and there's, there's so much to be learned along the winding path. And if you take a growth mindset and you say, Hey, you know what? I don't have this all figured out, but I'm going to learn a lot along the way. Yeah. I'm going to learn about myself. I'm going to learn about industries that, that you might know, be of interest to me. You know, I just met with somebody the other, or uh, uh, I was trying to help a young man the other day and I tried to hook him up with an informational interview. And I said, hey, here's somebody who I know. Yeah. I'm like, you still have to do the work and reach out to them. But here's somebody I know you should reach out. And I think he would be a good resource for you just to learn a few things about the accounting industry. So he did that. And then I saw that young man a few days later. And I was like, how'd it go? And he goes, it was great. I do not want to be an accountant. And I'm <laughs> like, that's brilliant. I'm yeah. like, like for, for, for taking Resolution. the time. Yeah. yeah, right. To take the time to know that and to find that out and not have done four years of school yeah. or whatever. And not like, you know, so, and that's what I'm, that's the big thing is but like. did you tell him he could be a forensic accountant and carry a gun? No, that's but he might like that. He might, he might like that. I might think about that. Forensic accounting. Go to GU, <laughs> man. They got a great forensic program. Yeah. Right. But the, it's Send just. Send him on over. I'll talk to him about accounting. I like it. I, there you go. Well, he wants to be, a, he, but here's the thing. I think what he really wants to do is be in financial planning, right? Oh, well, so it's in the, he, he wants to be in the finance industry, but I think he finds that yeah, sexier. I mean, you guys do, so it's such, it's a, it's a sexy biz. I mean, it's, it's a really, hell of a lot more when fun it's going than well. tax. <laughs> yeah, just, when the market's not down. Just wait till this bubble pops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you watch your mouth. Then they're watch all going to be mouth. hiding under desks. You know what, looking you know what I, I like about what you said earlier? Um, you talked about, like, everybody feels like they have to have their selves put together like i yeah. need to know everything before i jump into it it's like but that will never be the case like you will never have 100 percent of the answers and feel 100 percent ready to go yeah and I, I equate this like i remember the first time we were looking at a rental house and i was like i didn't know what the hell i was doing buying a rental house but it was like or even the first time we went into debt at all when we bought our first home it was like oh my god i'm so scared but it's like once you wrap like once you do it and just start it, it, it's not scary anymore and then you're like, oh, I'll do that again, and I'll do that again, and I'll do yeah. that again. And people are like, God, you just become so successful. It's like, no, I've just learned to 
push through the initial fear. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's like I tell people the only difference between people who are successful and those who are not is that they just push through the fear and somehow it works. Like Yeah, or they're just dumb enough to like, you know, try be naive. It. like yeah, uh I do I I tell so I've uh, probably about a year ago I met with uh two young women uh close to me, they were in my family and they were both just like, as they thought about the future, just freaked out about like, you know, having to make all the right steps, get the right internships to get the right job. And it's just like, no, like go screw up for a year, screw up a bit. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Right. Why not? No, but like, just go and learn, you know, we talk about entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. and we talk about the importance of failing fast and like do that, but we don't talk about failure when it comes to like careers and things like we we're afraid to like go down a path, maybe waste, you know, money, whether it's your parents' money or yeah. your money or a student loan, like, and so we're afraid to do that, which I get, that's understandable, but all of that is still a learning experience that is going to inform the future of what you ultimately do, mm-hmm. and hopefully you're narrowing down, if you think about it from a, like a, a, a you know, a pyramid, you're, you're narrowing it down to where you want to go. An inverted you're, pyramid, almost a funnel, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and that's, you know, incredibly important, and so that's really what the book is about, is about like, hey, I mean, I, I think, I, I I don't think. The tagline of the book is uh, answering the ultimate question of what I want to do with my life. So <laughs> trying to give, you know, young adults, young people, this, a bit of a path to start to go down, learn more about themselves. So in the ideas framework, it's introspection, design, exploration, adaptability, and service. So I really wanted to make sure I threw the service piece on the, on the end. You know, it's going to be really cool is when there's the second edition and it's like, and you have your midlife crisis, like Rory comes back and he has his midlife crisis. <laughs> it's like, what to do in your second career? Well, actually, you have your midlife crisis. So I'll talk about the second book that, well, I don't know if I'm gonna write this or not, but my editor was like, Hey, I've told him that I wanted to write a book about you know, culture, business culture. Nick yeah. and I have talked about it. My, my business partner, Nick, and I have talked about it for years. And you were just mentioning kindly how, you know, you think we do a, a pretty good job with that. And so he was like, well, what if you did like a series where like you're speaking to young adults now as they're trying to figure themselves out? And then if you came out in the, you know, three, five years, another book that's there, they're a little further along now in their career. And then they read your next book because they like the first one about like, hey, now that you're on a team and a management and you're trying to figure some things out, like, what is that about? And then I was like, well, and I'd love to do a book potentially on like trying to live into your, uh, the service side. Again, I, I, I bolted it onto this, but like people feel a connection to their communities in many different ways or at at different times in their life. But how cool it'd be to write a book about helping people kind of shepherd that a little bit. Like when you do kind of realize, Oh, I do want to give back or I want to, you know, volunteer more like, okay, well, how does that, what does that look like? And how do you do that? And someone, someone with this book, a buddy of mine who's close to retirement, he was like, hey, uh, you should write that book for, for retirees or, or soon-to-be retirees. Literally, he goes – and I joked, well, I will, we'll call it the silver edition. And, uh, no. you know, it's like, but, like, what do you want to do in retirement? And it's kind of like, could, I'll, could you I'll potentially – co-author that one with you. Yeah, <laughs> well, like we should one. co-author the other book that I truly think is the, is the true second book in this, which I think is incredibly important. I know you care deeply about, which is financial literacy. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be an interesting next book if, you know, let's be able to build this audience, get people people excited about this the importance of of financial literacy and getting young people to to understand that yeah you know where where i go with the financial literacy thing i love the idea and when you i never want to be at the extremes of anything i never want to be too happy never want to be too sad you kind of want to be we talked about this just the other day where you want to be 
you know, six to eight most of the time. Like you might have peaks and you might have troughs, but you're never getting to the extremes. And in financial literacy, all the all the literature out there, it's either like a Dave Ramsey where no credit, don't do that. You have to live on rice and beans and beans and rice, and or it's <laughs> right. leverage the hell out of everything you own so that if it goes belly up, you lose everything. And it's like, what about the middle ground where you can have a hybrid approach where yeah. you're doing all the right things Absolutely. in terms of manageable and... and um, Living within your means. Yeah, man- yeah, manageable credit, spending more than you make, you know, to, to quote Dave Ramsey, like Congress can't do. and But also, hey, we're minimizing risk here by doing these things. I think that's where there can be a successful financial Well, those extremes aren't literacy. good for the psyche. Either, yeah, no. Right? Like, the extremes on either, like too much debt, people cripples... And mm-hmm. then it's like no debt and living in squalor also is like not yeah. healthy either. So yeah. relationships. Well, and it's just, let's be honest, whether you're giving advice or not, where where I think so many young people lack is even the definitions. I had a mentee who uh, I loved to death. And when he was, he's almost 30 now, but when he was like, you know, 20, he came to me and he's like, hey, I think I'm going to buy a house. I'm like, that is amazing. That's fantastic. Good for you. I'm like, with the job that you have right now? Well, I don't really have a job. Oh, okay. Then how do you think you're going to make this happen? I, how, are you, how are you going to pay for a mortgage? He's like, what's a mortgage? Oh, right? Geez. And so, but, and he just didn't know any better. And, and, and no one had taught him along the way how, what, what the definitions were of any of that. How, how mm-hmm. does that machine uh, work? I was interested to know how he thought he was going to buy a house. Like, what, what, what did he think happened? Well, he, it's not that he didn't have any job, but he had some job and thought, you know, well, I, he's, he knew he had to pay for rent and he was going to be, you know, paying for rent. So why don't I buy a house instead? And, you know, it's like, yeah. okay, but he just didn't understand how it all came together. What, even what good credit looked like. So yeah. that's what the, con- that's the day we started the conversation about building credit and yeah. what does it look like to have a credit card and you're going to spend $50 a month on this credit card. You're going to pay that credit card off every month and you're going to build this strong credit rating, you know? And so, but, but again, a lot of young adults are never taught that. They're mm-hmm. never taught the value and the importance of balancing a checkbook or well, most what that looks don't like. don't understand how yeah. it works. Well, that's I because they're blind leading the blind. No, that's be, exactly. That's a great point. So they've graduated up to this point where they just have no idea. Yeah. And, then, and everybody looks to their parents for financial guidance, yet, what is it, the average 50 year old doesn't even have $50,000 saved for mm-hmm. retirement? So you're like, <gasps> well, here in Spokane, people your age, Ben, and younger, I've talked to them and they think, they can buy a home for $100,000. And I'm like, you can buy a shed for $100,000 right now. <laughs> Have you seen our market? Have you looked into this? Have you talked to a professional? No, but I've got $5,000 saved up. And I'm like, okay, that's a good start. Yeah, yeah. keep going. But yeah. you need to go and speak to some people. You need to either, you've got, you either need to up the income or up the savings or adapt your lifestyle a little bit, you know, figure, but you don't have a clear understanding of, Buying a house. I saw your a point. double wide going for a hundred grand in a park. Well, I just heard of houses going in West Central and Spokane for two hundred. Oh. Two hundred. Like so. You can't like, hardly find one for two hundred yeah. in West Central anymore. I check the markets every day locally. But we need and to it's build crazy. what we need to do is we need to build an interest <laughs> in, in those in those young adults and young people to to why this is important. And then truth be told, some of that content is out there. I even on TikTok yeah. and things like that, they're getting better about that kind of stuff is out there. And I've Financial even heard you know, some young people say, oh, yeah, I got, I, I found this on TikTok. And you're like, oh, good. So that's, again, a medium that they're paying attention to, that yeah, they would they listen to, that they like. Yeah, they met them where they're at. And, and so it's it's that's definitely smart, there. Right. And um, it's just about, you know, getting these kids to understand the value of that and why it's important to them. Yeah. I would like to come back and ask a question. And it's book related because we talked about pitching people and reaching out to people on yeah. LinkedIn. 
since we've had you on the podcast, I've kind of morphed my role a little bit. So I work in our enterprise team now. So dealing with the C-suite often and just working in that space is a different ball game. So the two things that we've we've done conceptual selling and strategic selling through Miller Hyman. I don't know if you've seen or heard of them. Mm-hmm. Miller Hyman are one of those companies that are pretty renowned in the sales game. But one of the concepts that I always come back to, and I used it yesterday with one of our uh, normal reps, is a valid business reason. And I'm always like, look, short and sharp, you have to captivate someone to want to meet with you. They don't care what you do, who you are, who you know. Ask them a question or give them something that is pertinent to what they do so that they're like, oh, I haven't thought about that. Yeah, I'll have a conversation with you. But you're not selling them anything. You're trying to create a meeting. So you're dealing with some of the the largest corporations in the country and the world. Talk to us about that. Talk to us about how you engage with them differently and if someone's reaching out to you how do they not pitch you but how do they engage you yeah so kind of my sales tactics when so when we're trying to build a relationship with uh and and maybe we didn't make this completely clear but for those listeners that don't completely understand what i do like my day job is um i am a partner in uh multiple digital marketing agencies so we build websites online ads uh, online games videos things like that helping brands build affinity with their customers, usually B2C customers. And so uh, I kind of mentioned some of this earlier. So AT&T, Amazon, um, Disney, Nickelodeon, Nintendo, those types. So we're, we were lucky enough to work with some of these big brands. So Stephen, to answer your question, if we, if we identify a company that maybe we, we want to work with or we're close to, we'll do everything we possibly can to figure out where our connections are made and whether that's like maybe LinkedIn can help figure that out. Like who do I know or who is at this company? What does that look like? And so when I start to identify who that is, maybe it's somebody I've worked with at a prior, you know, at another company we've worked with or even one of the companies that, you know, we currently work with. And if we say, hey, they're connected, then I might go and say, hey, can you give me a referral just to get like a lunch meeting or a coffee, right? So, and it's it's usually like how much time I give you is is based on how much I know you, right? So people I've worked with for years, we can go have five-hour dinners in New York and, and it's great. If like we've met once, then maybe we'll, you'll grab lunch with me because you enjoyed the last time we met and you might give me a lunch date. But if you don't know me at all and you're just barely thinking about giving me some attention, you'll probably give me 30 minutes for coffee. You might give me 30 minutes for or coffee, a Zoom right? Call. <laughs> if, yeah, or or, or or yeah, possibly. So um, what I'll do then is I'll you know potential I'll ask somebody who knows that person at that company like, hey, would you potentially send an email to the both of us introducing us? Would you feel confident and comfortable introducing me to them just for the chance to come out and say, hey, I'd love to have a, a, a coffee with you. If you think about to your point, what you said and how you're selling these people, if you think about what we do, people are usually have a solution and they're usually pretty m- relatively happy with it. Where you're trying to be and where we've done this for the last 17 years since we started our first company, 7-2, is we try to be top of mind so when they're not comfortable anymore, they're like, oh, I should call those, those guys over at 7-2. Exactly so have you heard my line? No. So you don't have to be first in line, you just gotta be second. <laughs> So eventually you become first. Well, and sometimes when you are first, you're freaked out because you're, you're like, oh, who's yeah. going to come behind me? Because you know and like, yeah, a second. And you got to hustle to, to get that. But So we we joke and that like um, that being top of mind, we you know we almost created it long years ago. We almost created a contact management system called Tom, or I wanted to call it Tom, top of mind. Because really all you were <laughs> trying to do is – and I'll, I'll give you a perfect example – 
um, one of our early customers that ended up being a really long-term great client that led to so much business was MTV. So we were doing work for AT&T. We were placing ads, AT&T ads on MTV.com. We met people at MTV who were helping us put those ads for AT&T on MTV.com. And they were, this group is called Integrated Marketing. And there's this wonderful woman. Her name was Maggie She, And Maggie would, you know, help us get that going. And so I built a relationship with Maggie. And I said, well, Maggie, you know, we would love to do this for any other clients that you have at MTV who are, you know, wanting to advertise on MTV.com. Like, let us know. Again, this is 2004, 2005. And she's like, yeah, yeah, well, thanks, Tyler. You know, again, no need for me right then. But I would, you know, um, a month would go by and I would send her an email like, hey, Maggie, want to let you know this website we just launched for such and such. You know, here it is. Or just, hey, just just checking in. How you doing? Just want to see how you've been. Oh, thanks, Tyler. I've been good. I hope you've been good. Great. And, you know, it could be that, that little. And I did that for like six months. And then in about June of 2005, I believe it was, May or June, um, she reached back out to me and said, hey, Tyler, we have something I think you guys would be great for. I'm like, wow, great, Maggie. I would love that. Why did she reach out? A, because we were easy to work with in the first place when we just when we weren't even really a client of hers per se. And then B, I was top of mind. So when they had the need for our types of services, yeah. you know, we were, it was, we were in perfect mm-hmm. fit. So we're, that's what we build relationships, always going in, not trying to get like the multi-year deal, right? Like we're not trying to do that. I'm just trying to get somebody's ear to build a relationship with them, with any of our companies, the way we do it, so that hopefully they're like, oh, those are pretty nice people. I enjoy them as humans. So can I ask a question? Yeah. So Ma- Maggie was her name, you said? Maggie, yeah. Maggie. So if you kept emailing Maggie, and this is something that I, I do, and I, and, and, and I, I think I, I have my beliefs and my answers for it, but it's like if you emailed Maggie for six months and Maggie didn't respond at all, would you have kept emailing her? I, after six, I mean, six months, like, so let's say six well, different I, times. Time, I mean, what? I wouldn't. I would, I would believe that that was, at what time I would let it start? go. And then I would maybe come back like a year or a year and a half later. And so a lot of what we do is, is in before the pandemic and hopefully we get back to this was, you know, about being in market. So whether it was LA or Atlanta I or Seattle visit. or Atlanta and we, or New York, we would go visit. And right. And so it's very easy at that point, maybe years gone by and be like, Hey Maggie, haven't talked to you in a while. Going to be in town. Wondering if you'd be up for grabbing coffee. And again, they're either going to like have a need and want to reach out yeah. or, Oh yeah. I remember Tyler. He was a nice guy. I would love to see him and just catch up. But, and if they don't, or they blow you off. Yeah, yeah, or they blow you off, which is, you know, again, (laughs) people get busy. And that's why it's not that often that people, if, unless they have an acute need, that they're like, yeah, sure, I'll make an hour or two for Mm -hmm. you to come in and pitch your, you know, solution. Mm -hmm. It's just not realistic. It just doesn't happen. So, and, and, and then you can look at that in some level and almost say, well, it's kind of a numbers game then because you really got to get the word out. You got to be making connections. You got to be doing this so that you are landing some of them or the people that are willing to catch up and, and meet you and build a relationship with. Because, yeah, no one wants to be sold to. No yeah. one, right? But if you can acutely you know, solve their problem and help them, then that's when they're interested and be like, all right, I'll mm-hmm. give you some time to better you know, hear, you, hear you out. And then if you can pile on – I'm a huge believer in, you know, testimonials or, you know, for us, right? So if, if AT&T and Amazon trust you, then why shouldn't, you know, X, you know, YZ company trust us, right? So that helps us. And so when we go and we get in there and we talk about, you know, case studies or things we've done for them, so that helps lower that anxiety barrier. Like, well, gosh, okay, that's a big company and they believe in you. And so mm-hmm. that we use that or, or can I name drop and put that into an email when I'm reaching out to somebody? So again, they're like, oh, well, if they trust you, then you're 
probably not some weirdo like uh, you know i might as well give you a, a little bit of, a, of attention yeah. so that's we, like credibility I, we use that all the time and just trying to like build that so it's funny you said credibility so if i was to flatten down what you just said you establish credibility with a mutual connection you ask them based on your reputation to put their reputation on the line for you totally. and recommend mm-hmm. you and then you connect yeah and the beautiful part about that is the reciprocity and the reputation part is if you screw up you never get anything from them again and if you do great you make them look great mm-hmm. and that's beautiful and that's to me that's the part of referring business that is overlooked when people are pitching on LinkedIn or making phone calls or knocking on doors and it's like if you don't establish credibility right off the bat and give them a valid reason to meet with you it's not going to happen yeah it doesn't happen by serendipity it doesn't happen by osmosis it just doesn't happen like yeah that. unless you have some like i said something is right now your problem you're trying to solve and you don't have any options in front of you and you're like meh okay i'll i'll maybe listen to you i'll maybe take some time but i wouldn't like ever tell anybody yeah let that be your strategy because it's going to work out for you mm-hmm. uh, that should be like your you know third or fourth tier strategy you know getting that out there because it really is about i mean credibility building relationships you know and that you know i think that's what over the years why we've been so successful is is we tried to sell in the beginning we really did i didn't know any better and i was dumb enough to try to sell you know to i even worked with people later on in life who were like I'm like, do you remember when I cold called you? And they're like, you cold called me? And I was like, yeah. And he's, and I'm like, you were like kind of cold to me and didn't like, and he's like, yeah, I mean, that's a cold call. I, I probably didn't give you attention because I didn't want to talk to you. And he goes, I goes, I can't believe I blew you off. And I'm like, well, but rightfully so. Like you, you had no reason to yeah. know me, to care about me, to like, absolutely. So yeah, that's a huge, and, and, and when I even, and let's say I do get the chance to be in, you know, um, in, in the office of a big company and I'm sitting at the table with them and I'm kind of telling them why we might be a valuable, um, you know, vendor for them to, to a partner to do some work. I'll always say things like, and you know why I think uh, AT&T has loved us for the last 15 years is because we do what we say, we deliver, we're trusted. And if I was in your shoes, I wouldn't want to work with anybody who didn't do that. I said, mm-hmm. our job is to make your, your, your job easier. I said, we recognize that. We do not rest on our laurels. I said, and that's why I think that we've come back project after project after project after project with these companies because we've built that trust, right? So I want the person sitting across me to kind of then stop and go like, huh, yeah, I'd kind of like somebody like that in my life. Like yeah. that would be valuable. I, I would, I, I would, I would value that too if I could get that. So, mm-hmm. and then, and then they're thinking in their head like, okay, what's the small? How do I dip my toe into this? What's the small project I can give you to potentially see if you would be, you know, worthwhile? Yeah. So I think it's the entrepreneurial mind because I've got a story that you're probably going to laugh your butt off at. Uh, Paul Kaikendel, you know Paul. He's friends with Andre. Um, real close with Andre. He's at a lot of the Youth for Christ okay. events. Okay. I'm sure I've met Paul yeah, yeah. a long way. Cyber security type So he was, uh, he was VP of payments for Ticketmaster. Oh, wow. I yeah. saw he was in Spokane on LinkedIn. This is six years ago. This is right, maybe a month. I knew nothing about the payments industry at this point. I was new. Wait, this guy's in Spokane. I'm going to sell Ticketmaster. Reach out. Can we talk about payment processing for ticket? And it, to, thankfully, he was graceful and he was like, well, we can talk and he met me for coffee and we kind of got him he, he talked me down and kind of explained it's w- without making me feel silly our infrastructure is 
insane. We're in multiple countries, billions of dollars. <laughs> so we actually forged a like friendship a out of it. Still talk to him to this day. And we do have a relationship with Ticketmaster now based on that, me trying to pitch him. No kidding. Yeah, so... Because you built a relationship. Built a relationship. And it took, a, you know... <laughs> and there's a time, probably a month, three months, six months, two years in, four years in, where they're like, all right, I'm willing to take a, you know, a chance on you. I like you as a human mm-hmm. being. I believe you'll fight for me to make this project a success. And that's the thing, right? Like, at the end of the day, somebody's putting their... On some level, they're putting their job a little bit on the line, especially in the work that we do, to hire you, to, for us to help them, let's say, it's launch this new website for this new you know, TV property that's going out. Like, if we fail at that, we're in trouble. Like, and, and then it puts them in jeopardy, and it's just not good. And then you know, that just breaks your whole thing because they're not going to recommend you or you know, any of those issues. Or, so that just can be you know, kind of a, a tough deal. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I feel like this has worked for us. It's just about leveraging your network, but not like not hardcore selling your network because you know those people. It just doesn't add any value, and it's just no. And again, we have to remember like no one wants to be sold to. And how do you build a relationship? How do you take them to coffee? How do you build a friendship? Yeah. And that's what you know. For fourteen four, one of our companies, when we first hired our first sales guy, we're like, listen, we do not want you to go sell this company. Who was your first sales guy? Ryan Meaty. Okay. So he said, we told Ryan, uh, we said. Hey, listen, we want you to go make friends. And he's like, what? And we're like, just go for the first year. Go and make friends. Just go and build it. So go take people to coffee, lunches, dinners, build friendships. And then if, in fact, it, there comes a time at any of those that you can talk about work, which it will. People are going to ask you, oh, yeah. like, oh, well, what's going on at 14-4? What's, what are you guys doing? Oh, well, you know. And then if you know how to kind of weave that conversation and talk about what you have been doing and, and kind of in a way that they might be interested or show that you're doing cool work that they you want to be a part of, right? But really not, again, not selling, but just try to, you know, have that and build that friendship first. And that's what's going to, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people say, well, I don't need any more friends. Okay, that might be true. But when you do build friends first, it makes it a lot more um, – successful for them to bring you in from the business side and be like well, hey let's 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 really work together as a person yeah, I think. yeah absolutely yeah Best people will buy you for your character totally Best sales gig of all time don't sell anything just go eat and drink and be merry <laughs> Here's a that, credit card. that's literally how that's how that's, that's that is the, here's a credit card there you that is there. the thesis to our work i mean it really well, is and that's i mean there's two things and we got it, the hard part like so finance right i equate a lot back to finance so at some point, you have to eat, right? So when your first five years, I always say they're pure hell because you're not going to make any money. Sure. And you're trying to build these relationships. So it's like if you just sell people, you might get paid a little money up front, but you're not going to grow the relationships to be truly fruitful. I think your ROI, if you were to amortize it out over your career, will be less than if you just tried to initially stop, don't sell, build the relationships, starve. Yeah. But it's like I, I think that's the right way to do it because I think you're going to – the learned traits that you're going to get out of that that are going to allow you to actually build those strong relationships and have, you know, the Tylers of the world actually respect you yeah, uh, is going to be a lot more fruitful than, yeah, that guy sold me once and I gave him 50 grand to invest and yeah. Meh. So Steven, you asked like when people, you know, kind of reach out to me and pitch me and, um, and it, 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 it's totally reciprocal in that respect that yeah, if, if you reach out to me and try to sell me, whether it's LinkedIn or whatever right away, I, I can't, I don't think ever once I've accepted or, you know, or I've gone yeah. or worked with anybody from that kind of scenario. But when someone, you know, 
wants to take time to meet me uh, and I'm you know willing to have coffee with them or something like that and we start to build a relationship whether it's a video production company or something like that like it, it really is about like I you know the ones where they have been successful is is where I've I see a little bit maybe it's their client list or something I'm like okay there's a little bit of value of us working together I could like I like the work you've done I've seen it I'm you know validating them I'm trying to validate them like and I do have a need for that or you know and that's where I'll be like okay let's let's make some time to, to figure but again it's completely relationship it, yeah. it it goes to the relationship and I think people just miss that and they maybe they're thinking purely numbers game on like I'm just gonna pitch everyone I possibly know and hopefully something sticks it's like ugh. I think yeah. that's a that's a tough Sounds road. Tiring. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, really yeah. tiring. It's the early it's the young person's, you know, game. They try that and then recognize that, oh, I'm not adding any value to anyone. Mm-hmm. And I need to like like and that's really what it is, right? How do you truly add value? I just heard I was listening to something on Clubhouse the other day and they were talking about how this guy was talking about building billion dollar businesses and this guy had literally done like two or three. And he was wow. like, we tried to make sure we never thought about what was the value of our company or how big we were getting. It was like, are we on a day-to-day basis delivering value to our end customer? And if yeah. we could just like... I was going to say value from a monetary standpoint. Yeah, just think about, yeah. very hardcore uh, about, yeah, are we, are, we, are we truly adding value to people? And I, that's, at the end of the day, what's important. Mm-hmm. I need to explore Clubhouse. I think our podcast could be fun live on Clubhouse. Well, if it's, if I it's agree. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, then you can invite more people in that, mm-hmm. you know, live that they can come and be a part of it and see it. And, you know, and then if you hype it up and, you know, beforehand say, hey, we're doing this at this time and, you know, you can get yeah. some people to show up. And, yeah. So I have, an, I have another question. Yeah. And you don't need to name names if you think it might make anybody feel awkward. <laughs> Incriminating. <laughs> but the main character in your book is Rory. Is it based on someone you know? And if so, can you elaborate? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it is based on someone I know. Uh, it's bit, well, I would say it's a couple. It's it's a little bit based on me. Um, I'm a little bit in Rory, the main character, and I'm a little, I'm a lot in CJ. She's the mentor in the in his mentor in the in the book. You're I'm a lot. To tell me you identify as a woman. I do. I do identify as a woman <laughs> and a man. I, I identify as both. I'm I'm human. 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 Um, a man and a woman. No, I just yeah. I wanted to see a strong female character in the book. Actually, yeah. like I, I was, you know, there's a lot of strong female business um, people, women that don't get enough credit, and I wanted to kind of just. Put yeah. it out there. Cause I, mm-hmm. I think they do a lot of great things. And so, but really, Stephen, to answer your question, um, his, his name is Rory Langford. My son's name is Ryan Lafferty, and so I wrote it as a story and kind of a foretelling of my son. My son is uh, absolutely passionate about basketball. He loves basketball. Oh. He wants to play college basketball. You know, if he's lucky enough to do that, that would be great. You know, hopefully he will. I think he he has a chance there. He's actually not too bad at it. And, um, you know, but again, he would love to even go to the NBA, right? And Mm -hmm. I even put it in the book because the book is actually about a young man who is passionate about basketball. And he starts to understand that that's the industry that he loves. But so I kind of wrote it as... I wanted my son to not give up on the dream that, that, you know, to take the dream as far as he possibly can. But if he truly is passionate about basketball, don't get to a point and be like, well, and I always use this term and I would, I'll, I gotta be careful in the, where in the presence who I say it in, but well, I guess I'll just go sell insurance now. Like, well, no, I don't, like, I don't want you to like, yeah, no. that's not, you know, if, if, if you're truly passionate about basketball, I want you to look at the broader industry and what are the uh, you know, jobs. And I'm not just talking about coaching 
or trainer. I mean, you could be in marketing. You yeah. could be, I mean, but again, for, for an NBA team or for a college team, or there's so many jobs. And that's really what the book talks about. There's so many jobs in those industries that I want my son and the other kids that are like him to think big and, and not give up on the dream because there are so many great things. So that's where Rory Langford, Ryan Lafferty, that's where it is. I love that. Ah, I like that. <laughs> love that. So we'll talk a little bit. Uh, I am two-thirds of the way through the book. I told you this. And this is a funny story that he said I could. I already got clearance for this. <laughs> I was like, I'm picking up some kind of uh, sexual vibes, some love interest <laughs> type stuff between you know, mentor and mentee. And not like th- th- this was not a Tyler thing, what he said. This well, no. This was not. This yeah, was an so thing. But he's it, like, oh, you're picking up on that. Well, wink, wink. I said you were picking up particularly on Rory and the, his love interest, which was this girl who is the receptionist of his mentor. Uh, he's really kind of enamored with See, her. I was picking up on... No, but on, I, I'll get to that. But okay. <laughs> I think I think you picked up on, and, and the editor to kind of help kind of in this character development build some of this, which was, like, he really does have this, he's enamored by his, over time, and you get this in kind of the way he talks about her, he's really enamored by his mentor. She's yeah. an amazing woman. She's done. Which she wouldn't be. She's, yeah, yeah, she's yeah. done all these really great accomplishments. She's, she's a really amazing human being. And, and so there is some things where it, do, it, it can be interpreted as him sounding a little bit like, yeah, enamored with, in, in more of a love interest way. But, but the love interest that I did work with my editor on just purely for character development was between Rory and this this receptionist that you know he's her, her admin that he's kind of like wow she's she, I want to get to know her better so there is a little bit of that in the book okay. it's definitely I haven't there. gotten to the admin part you just you just spoiled it for <laughs> oh jeez anybody else spoiler alert anybody else yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah does he does he make it work is she interested you'll have to read the book uh, to find that's out. A good so something else I wanted to chat about well two things and I. I love all of this. You've started a podcast. I heard you on Tabitha's podcast. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, so yeah. That was fun. I met, I'm I working on it. I met Tabitha when I was going to Idaho to work out. Don't tell anybody in Washington. <laughs> um, I, I need the gym in the morning. You I and everyone else. Yeah, it. exactly. So I was driving out to Coeur d'Alene, starting my days out there. I work remotely, so I was going to Vault Coffee or Coeur d'Alene Coffee Company and just sitting until noon, making uh, phone calls, emails, all that. So got chatting with Tabitha. She knows a bunch of people I know out there. And love that you went on her podcast. Yeah. She's wonderful, right? She is wonderful. And, yeah. But you've started your own podcast. And since you last talked to us, you managed to piss off every racist person in our, re- our region as with well. With the BLM Talk mural? about that. Talk <laughs> about the, the thought BLM process. Mural. Yeah. I love that oh. you're pissing off the racist, by the way. But Thank let's you. talk about what you did and how you did it. Uh, you I know. you're pissing off the racist. I, so what Stephen is referring to, for those that don't know, I, I think we might have the largest... Black Lives Matter mural west of the Mississippi. I think we it might be 140 feet long, 14 feet tall. So my it takes my, off the side of your building. It's on the yeah. side of our build, literally on the side of his, our big uh, concrete building. It's beautiful. So what, to answer your question, we uh, we've been talking. My, one of my business partners, Nick, he had been talking about putting a mural on that for a long time. You know, you, sometimes you see the Instagram murals where, let's say it's yeah. big wings and you stand in front of it and it's, you know, Instagrammable. And yeah. We were trying to think, like, could there be a Pacific Northwest one, Something you know, fun. Sasquatch and, you know, mountains and could there be, and so we were, we, we'd been kicking around that for a long time. You guys time. don't even have a sign for your company outside the building, do you? I know. We have, well, we used to have our old logo, <laughs> which was this mask, big mask, right? uh, yeah. was on there, but no, there's like nothing. It's pretty nondescript. <laughs> 
And so we'd been kicking around this mural idea for a long time. And then Nick and Jeff, we were, I think, in a meeting once. And I think it was Jeff, actually, Jeff Oswald, one of our partners at 14.4, was like, hey, you know, you've been talking about this mural idea. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could, you know, give a little, lend a little bit of, of voice to the BLM movement? How cool would that be to do something? We're like, yeah, that would be really cool. Like, what do you, because we all agree that, that there, there was definitely some, a, a larger voice that, that we wanted to get behind and be a part of. And so we, you know, we started talking about what would that look like? Well, you know, three white dudes sitting around a table trying to figure this out. Uh, we wanted it to be a little more authentic. And so uh, we went to our friends at Terrain in Spokane. And Ginger, Ginger and Luke, uh, <laughs> Ginger, and Luke. Ginger and Luke, who co-founded that, um, you know, Ginger, woman of color, really talented. We're like, she will help figure this out. We, she's she's got a smart brain. So we went to her and we're like, hey, what do you like? We'd like to do something. What do you think that could be? And she was like, I think it was her idea. That said, well, what if we the the different the letters, the Black Lives um, Matter. As somebody get this wrong, sixteen, I think sixteen letters. And she's like, what if we had uh, an artist, a uh, person of color who's an artist, do each one of the letters? And when we were like, yeah, we could pay them to do that work. So that's what some people wonder, like, well, did they get paid yeah. for this work? And absolutely, they, they got paid for that work. So it was a commission. That's awesome. We commissioned the wall uh, by, you know, 16 different uh, artists. And I got to tell you, I know Jeff would tell you how much he loved it and got to talk with all these people and learn about their stories and hear these artists and, 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 and being able to talk with them about it. It was really, really fantastic. And, and, you know, you made light of the pissing off the racist. And I just like to say this because people need to, I think a lot of people are like, oh yeah, whatever. I sat uh, in the front of our building one day and saw this guy in this big, not to, I drive a big truck, but this big truck, uh, this big Ram truck, and I saw the look on his face as he drove by, knew what was going on, the painting was going on, because we, we initially put Black Lives Matter, again, 14 feet tall, 140 feet long, in uh, white paint first so that they could come by and then do their work. So it was up. This guy and the, the snarled look on his face as he drove by, just pissed off that these people... Who could these people that are putting this, you know, doing this artwork on the side of the building? You could see the look on his face. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, mm -hmm. I got to get outside. So I got out. I ran outside. He circled. He went into the parking lot. And thankfully, um, we had an officer from Spokane Police Department who, like, kindly said, hey, I'll come have lunch there. Just make sure no issues or anything like that. So he was in the parking lot. Oh. So that truck kept driving drove around the block again and i made a point just to stare at this guy menacingly looking back at the artist did you just see the like hate in his face and then he like drove off and i was just mm -hmm. like i was so disheartened in the fact that like that's real like what does he have issue with these wonderfully kind people trying to tell more of their story but then I was actually, it made me really excited that this was going up and that, and I could, it was so wonderful to talk to so many of these artists and, and just honestly people from the community. I, I stood there for, uh, at times and I would talk to people who were like, hey, we drove from Seattle to come see this. Holy moly. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And they're like, no, like, we're so proud that you guys are doing this. That was people of color. That was, uh, you know, uh, white people, but they were just like, we're really proud. And we got some ugly emails, a few, not a ton, hmm. but we got some really... Somebody actually said that we were um, scaring all the children in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. 
like by having this beautifully. I mean, the art is beautiful, it's not, but that's yeah, you know, it's like oh, oh scaring oh, the children. Okay, well, scaring the children and I would make a differentiation between what you witness. That's a horrible human. Like he right. he has hatred. Yeah, and then the people that want to make the caveat between what they witnessed in terms of violence and things getting destroyed and at the protest yeah. and it's like look this this happens so often that we also we're doing the same now not to defend donald trump in any way shape or form we're doing the same now with trump where essentially we're saying half of the country is bigoted and racist and and you know wants right. to cause this insurrection it's like no that's a small percentage of people so i think we got to differentiate between people that absolutely support equality and, and fairness and and getting rid of discrimination and any kind of uh, negative behavior, mm -hmm. but also don't agree with the extremes. But, but then what you experienced, obviously, that man snarling and, and having that That's contorted face is, is awful. It's, yeah, it, it and, you, and you're exist. right. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can't, you can't look at, oh, everybody is that way or see. And just to your point, like you can't say that the, the Black Lives Matter marches and protests we're all horrible because of some buildings got like mm -hmm. kicked in or those oh, yeah. people who did that. Well, that doesn't mean the message is wrong. And I yeah. think there were a lot of people that did want to get behind that and say, yeah, see, that's why this is that you don't do this. And this is why it's crap because all the, the horrible things that happened to these buildings, our building got a rock thrown through. A window. Yeah, I remember saying, yeah. Was I pissed off? Yeah, a little bit like, okay, what a numbskull. Like, why would someone do that? But did I like think that the whole Black Lives Matter, you know, Mar so, no, of course not. This is and Tyler so, getting angry. But what it's the same. Skull. It's yeah. the it's the num gosh num darn skull, golly num gee numbskulls. I don't want to. I don't know if I could swear on here. You know me. I actually will. But um, the but at the same time, it's the same thing. You can't say, oh well, the you know you know when when people say blue lives matter, absolutely blue lives matter. You yeah. know, and and, and yeah. you know police officers. You can't say that p the police officers are bad just because there are a few you know totally. bad police officers who yeah. did some things that they shouldn't have. That doesn't mean the whole police force yeah. across the board is yeah. wrong, right? And could there's we some talk bad financial about, advisors. That doesn't mean they're all bad. Should, there's some bad marketers. That doesn't mean they're all bad. Should we talk about a little bit of reform, and is there value in that? Absolutely, 100%. right? Could they potentially approach some of these issues differently? Absolutely. Does that mean it changes every way they you know they approach everything? No. And so there's just I and you know it was funny. You probably saw this in the Super Bowl. Jeep did this like mm -hmm. middle of the line, right? And if you talk to people. They say how, and you said it. Why we're so divided, and we're there's you're either one or the other, and like and you, and and if you identify with one or the other, and that was, I mean, I will say this. I was really saddened by there were people who judged me because oh, you put a Black Lives Matter mural on your building. I know exactly everything about you, Tyler. How you think, how you vote. Like they just <laughs> oh, I know exactly. And I'm like, you don't like. And then you get into it with them. You start talking and like, oh, like, wait, you we kind of up? agree on that financial fiscal policies. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, right. And like, mm -hmm. it's just it. There's yeah. it's crazy to think we might disagree on some of the social things or how that interacts with with the fiscal policies. But it's crazy like how some people just peg you, peg yeah. you yeah. for like, oh, I know how you are, Tyler. You oh, you put that BLM mural up. I'm Can like, we are look you at it per issue instead of? one yeah. side or the other just like, say let's look and vote on <laughs> policy not on you know. well we just yeah. need to come together and be like well how do we solve this and be open-minded and and, and 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 hopefully all of that is just be kind like like uh, that was i think at the end of the day that was us as we we believe that there was discrimination that, that is still absolutely yeah. prevalent in america and we felt that there was value in bringing voices you know i got so sick of saying just because I say black lives matter doesn't mean I don't believe all lives matter. Like, yeah. I just got sick so of saying that. Your market in mind, I'm going to ask you a question because I think we've always, 
me at least, I think Ben as well, we like to think that our ideas are marketable, right? We like to think, well, I could do marketing. Do you think that the movement missed a beat by leaving one word out at the end and just two or... If you said Black Lives Matter 2... Black Lives Matter also. That unites all of these people that are somewhat kind of like, well, of course they matter, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, Um, one more word makes that slogan a unification slogan instead of somewhat divisive. I don't know. I don't know. I think that sometimes you need to piss a few people off to kind of make a point, too. We Mm -hmm. forget that. And so by saying Black Lives Matter, and and, and, and let's be honest, I'm a... I'm a very you know privileged white dude. Like I don't, I, I can't come at that and say, because I don't know what it feels like. I don't mm-hmm. know what it feels like to be truly discriminated against because of your skin color. I you know do come from you know from uh, the, the 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 I would say more of the the white privileged um, point of view. And so, you know, if a black man told me that no, like it, it, it held more weight and there was more value in saying you know black lives matter. And again, I. What we, I think it's stupid even to assume that they're saying that they're not saying that other lives matter. So that to me, you didn't need to add that at the end because I'm like, well, they're not, they're not idiots. They're not saying like, the others not, don't matter. Yeah. yeah, they're not saying, oh, we only want like you know black supremacy. That's not. I never heard yeah. that message. Yeah. Um, it was you know. So I think they're just wanting to see the table, and equity is incredibly yeah, the important. The only time you did hear that was on the extreme yeah the and then again we talked like about that absolutely like yeah, yeah, the yeah. Only time you, there's always the loonies in every group yeah absolutely yeah well we want to be respectful of your time we've yeah, been going for an hour. hour where can people find you what's the podcast where can people get the book and are you going to do an audio version of it <laughs> thanks for asking let me see if i can answer all those uh i am on social media mostly on instagram at the tyler lafferty the book, you can go to bemorelikeyou.com and get more information about that. Not only link to the book on Amazon, but also uh, we have a, a uh, sorry, a, a companion workbook that, that it, once you read the book or if you're going to use it, you can get that as well. Um, that's there. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I'm going to do an audio version. I think I'm going to do it myself. So awesome. that's probably what's been like holding me back. I've got all the information. Hour got, earlier every day. I, I think that I, that might unfortunately have to be it, right? I got to get that 195 pages and just do it. So wait, you don't go to a studio and record it? Like they'll let you do that at home? Like you've got a nice setup. I've I have a nice setup. So I have a Shure SM7B. I've got the you know the road. Um, so I got I got all the stuff. I've got all mm-hmm. the stuff. I've got you know the, the, I can make it nice and quiet and do that. And yes, you can do that. And there's just certain things you have to do to set that up. And so I, I I'm pretty sure I could do it that way, and I, I think I will and see. Um, but I do, but yeah, so that's, that's my goal. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been a fun journey. It's been, you know, it, it, it's, it, I have this friend, uh, she's, um, my, kind of my marketing manager. Her name's Claire and I, she's actually, her podcast is going to be coming out. So it's the be more like you podcast. You can find it on Apple and, and mm. Spotify and things like that. Mm-hmm. But she has this thing that you'll hear soon when hers releases, which, uh, I kind of had to embrace a little bit myself. And, you know, I don't know if I ever saw myself as an author or, or a podcaster per se, like the one actually doing the um, getting the podcast out there. Uh, but she says, you know, you aren't until you are. And, and I thought it was a beautiful sentiment. She was mm-hmm. talking in the podcast. She talks particularly about she, she wanted to learn how to be, uh, uh, you know, to design and to use, uh, to be a video editor. And she didn't know the Adobe suite, but she wanted to kind of learn it. And so, but she had all this trepidation and, and she kind of realized like you, you don't build this confidence and, and you, you aren't until you are when you, then you, when you finally start doing it, then you kind of get this confidence behind you. Like, Oh, I can do yeah. that, right? Yeah. I, I, do, yeah. I, I am that. I am. I see myself differently, and I think that for myself, even I felt that way. You know, whether it's now as an author or as as, as, as releasing my own podcast, 
uh, it's yeah. So it's been, now you're talking about fun. all the other books you're going to write. Yeah, we'll see if 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 the world will have. I mean, no, me. it's they've recorded yeah. now. So yeah, now you you've <laughs> spoken into the world. That's true. We got I got I got to deliver. Now well, you got to deliver, baby. Well, we would love to keep collaborating with you. Whether that's I mean, we share stuff on your social media and like, love yeah, that, likewise. Absolutely, love that, um, that you're doing this. You know, Spokane needs more of it, but Spokane needs more of it from a. From every level, we mm-hmm. just need people creating content that's Different specific to Spokane that they can relate to. Because everybody follows Gary Vaynerchuk and everybody <laughs> yeah. sees the things, and he's he's not wrong. The stuff no, he no, puts no, out absolutely. is brilliant. Yeah, but he's in New York City. Yeah, and yeah. we have so much potential here, both in in human capital and and resources, and just a beautiful city. And there's so much that we can do here if people can relate to it. So love that you're doing Appreciate it. Appreciate that. And Agree. really lending a voice. Agree wholeheartedly. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Awesome. We had to get over that stigma of, are people actually going to listen to us? Listen to our, have you gotten over the hatred of your own voice yet? No. No, I don't think Will you I? ever do. <laughs> I don't think you ever do, because I haven't. Yeah, and right. I edit these. <laughs> I think my voice is sexy. <laughs> I like that confidence. Yeah. As I lick my lips. <laughs> sexy. Yeah, what's that fat bastard? I'm dead so, sexy. <laughs> unless you've got anything else you want to impart, we would uh, we'll wrap it up there. Yeah, I think I'm good. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming down, Tyler. Yeah, of course. We appreciate Thanks for having you. Me. Yeah. Likewise, and to you guys listening. Until the next time, be good to yourselves and to each other. Boom. <laughs>